We are finishing up our series called Steward of the King, where we have been uh, talking about how disciples manage the gifts that God has given us for his purposes. And um, <clears throat> um, we're finishing this up because next week starts the season of Lent, which is the 40 days prior to Resurrection Sunday. Um, in fact, that reminds me, I just want to let you know that this coming Wednesday is called Ash Wednesday. We're going to be doing an Ash Wednesday service at our offices um, off of uh, Memorial over by the Spirit Event Center, right next to Savastano's Pizza. So you could go get pizza and then stay for worship. So I'm just saying. Anyway, um, if you're a... a subscribe to the newsletter. You'll get um, some additional information that way. Otherwise, you can check the website or the app. But that's coming up this Wednesday. And um, I just invite you to be part of that. So Lent is the season where we, um, we talk about prayer and fasting. And then in a lot of traditions, people give things up. And uh, our new series is actually called Giving Up. Uh, and is kind of the custom that we have around here. We're going to kind of give you a new take on that idea because it's not just about giving up chocolate for 40 days. That there's some other things that we'd like for you to consider. I have some pastor friends who they will uh, give up social media for that 40-day period, which is probably a move in the right direction, I'm just saying. So anyway, uh, but we'll have some other ideas for you to, to consider um, during the season of Lent. So this idea of stewardship, when we talked about this uh, at the beginning, the, the first thing that we have to figure out how to steward, that we have to figure out how to manage is our attention. Because if you don't steward your intention, it's very difficult to steward anything else. And so then we talked about what it meant to steward our blessings and stewarding our time, because some of the same things that you can say about stewarding time is the same as what you would say about stewarding attention. Those two things, some, for some reason, go hand in hand. And then last week, we talked about money and stewarding our money or our financial resources. And today, I want to I finish this uh, series by talking about stewarding something that um, you don't hear very much about. Uh, and, and, and maybe we ought to. Or if you do, we don't really think of it in terms of stewardship. So I'm hoping that this will be... Uh, one of those messages that just kind of grabs hold of, of everyone. It, it did me as I was kind of doing the study for it. So I want to start and tell you a quick story. Um, years ago, I worked for a bank. <clears throat> in fact, I spent um, a number of years in banking and corporate finance before I went into, um, went into seminary. And uh, the bank that I worked at, I got a job as a part-time teller. Um, sorry, they're now called customer service representatives. But back then, we were called tellers. And I worked as a teller in um, uh, a downtown kind of urban environment where our primary customer base was African-American. And there were a number of African-Americans who worked um, on my teller line. And um, I, I grew to really love these, these women in particular. They're very strong. Um, like scary strong sometimes, just that strength of character. And uh, I don't claim to understand African-American culture. I still don't. I'm, you know, middle-class white boy. And 
and I've had every privilege ever afforded to me, and I don't know what it's like to live in, in that kind of context, and even living among them, you know, eight hours a day for a period of time, I still don't claim to understand it. Growing up, um, my, uh, my dad uh, had this phrase that he used when he got really frustrated. And, uh, I, you know, to this day, I don't know where it came from or why he often chose to say that. It didn't mean anything. He didn't mean anything by it. But we were in the bank, and uh, as we were kind of talking, isn't that a great shot? I love that. <laughs> but I was in the bank, and, and we were goofing off before we opened the doors. And I said this phrase out loud. And while my dad never meant it that way, when I said it in that context, I realized how racist it was. I watched those words, and I saw what it did to that entire group of people, and I thought, oh, what did I just do? Even to this day, my heart sinks when I think about that. I mean, that's emotion just right surface. I love these people. Why would I say something to hurt them? I had, I had, it just, it just popped out. It's a simple little phrase. And we have to learn how to steward our words. Does that make sense? I'll give you a, an extreme example of what that means. We have to be real careful about the things that pop out of our mouths because sometimes. Uh, if you're like me in a verbal processor, I don't know what I think until I say it out loud. This is dangerous sometimes, by the way. Just saying. But we have to learn how to steward those words. There's a, an ancient writer, and he put it this way in the book of Proverbs. He said, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and and death, words are powerful. They shape our views and they influence our decisions whether we realize it or not. And maybe you've experienced this, this, this notion of life and death by the words that you've, you've said. Maybe you've had that experience where the words have left your mouth and you immediately regretted it. Ah, oh, why did I say that? Or maybe you've experienced the exhilaration of having the right word at the right time. Isn't that awesome? You just know what to say. It's so cool. Years ago, there was a great little book called Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Do you remember this book back in the 80s? Robert Fulgham, um, he, uh, an interesting guy, he um, uh, wrote this book. He's a Unitarian um, Universalist. Uh, he's a Baylor grad, which I thought was really interesting. He's a Baylor grad, and yet he's a Unitarian minister. But, but I remember reading in that book, he, re- he had this little quote. He said, sticks and stones can break your bones. Oh, but words can break your heart. Isn't that true? So true how those words and the things that we say, and, and more importantly, even sometimes how we say them, just can cut right to the quick and do a lot of damage in the process or can, can be the right word at the right time that can be so encouraging that can spur people and inspire them to do amazing things. It's both of them. But this, this idea of words and stewarding them, um, we find in the New Testament, a writer named James understood the human nature 
in chapter 3, he, he begins and he starts, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder where, wherever the pilot wants to go. He's talking about how we get these small things that do, uh, that influence, influence large creatures or large vehicles. He goes on, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. That's true, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is, um, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Boy, we had to pay attention to that the last few days, haven't we? That's right. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. It's just so powerful to think about how this small thing can have such devastating impact. And my guess is James either wrestled with this on his own, just in his personal life, or he had experienced it in a very powerful way because you can just feel the emotion here. It corrupts. It sets on fire. It is set on fire by hell. Isn't it amazing how something 2,000 years ago we still wrestle with today? Satan finds a game plan and sticks with it because it works right? He goes on, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. That's right. It requires divine intervention, I think. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings. Ugh. Who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers and sisters this should not be right oh powerful powerful words that james says to us you have the power to praise god and to curse and it just reminds me of proverbs and this idea of life and death contained in the tongue most of us are aware <clears throat> quite honestly of how we talk to others you know, when you're having a conversation with someone else, whether they're, you know, the cashier at the grocery store or, you know, the waiter or waitress at the restaurant or, or um, somebody that you're talking to at work, we, we understand there's a certain kind of politeness that we have towards one another. Um, and, and I like this. This is in the book of Colossians. Um, it's a letter that Paul wrote. He, he wrote to them kind of his final words of encouragement. He said, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I like that a lot because uh, season with salt means that you make it interesting, that you, you, you do something to make it tasty. Does that make sense? It's a metaphor that, that's here. Is make sure that it's seasoned with salt and full of grace when you're having that conversation. And most of us understand that because Jesus made it real clear. He said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And we understand that. We, we even understand how to, how to talk to our families, I came across this quote not too long ago. Actually, Lisa did and sent it to me. Um, Hafiz of Shariz, he's a Persian poet. He wrote this, the words you speak become the home you live in. Isn't that powerful? The words that you speak, the kind of language that you speak around your house gets absorbed by your kids and by your spouse and it becomes part of the culture that you have. And each home has a kind of culture to it. We have a way of doing things. We have a way of speaking to one another. 
And it's interesting, you go from, from family to family and you see what that dynamic looks like and it's very different from place to place. We understand how to, to talk, talk to other people. There's the golden rule, remember? Do unto others as you would like to be treated, right? And we understand basic politeness, the things that my grandparents required of me <laughs> and my parents. And, and we, have, we have those kinds of things that are kind of built in more or less to, to what our culture is. But there's one person in particular, you know, one person who usually takes the brunt of our frustration and our anger and our really horrible words. And that's ourself. Can I just be honest about that? It's just ourself. In psychology, it's called the inner dialogue. And we all have it. It's so close to us, though, we don't even, um, are, we're not usually aware of it because it's just happening in the background. And sometimes it's the way we, you know, we process information quietly. And sometimes um, um, we, don't, we don't notice it until it begins to bubble up in such a way and spill over. And by the way, everybody does this. There's not a single person. The question is, are they aware of it or are they not? The inner dialogue that goes on. And I would hazard this, and this is going to be the hard part of what I have to say, is that the way you often speak to yourself, you would never speak to your kids or your family or your friends or other people that way. It's like we reserve the worst language for ourselves. I wrestle with this too trying to become more aware of it. So I stopped doing it because it's not helpful. A couple of weeks ago, I had a deadline, something that I needed to do, and I got distracted. And <clears throat> Anyway, long story short, it didn't happen. And I was so frustrated and so angry because I really needed to make sure that this thing got taken care of. And uh, a torrent of really berating language came out of my mouth what was in my head bubbled over. Such an idiot. Ah, you've said that, huh? Yeah. What did I do that for? And it went on and on and on. Something interesting happened. I caught the look of my, look of my face in a mirror. And I went, oh. And then I thought to myself, how's this working out for you? You, you, you do this all the time. You, you yell at yourself. You berate yourself. You call yourself all kinds of names. Have you changed? Has it helped you at all? Does this empower you to do something different? No, it just makes me feel lousy. Been there? Most of us have. How's that working out for you? See, it's so easy for us to talk about saying loving and graceful words to other people, but it's so much more challenging when we face the person in the mirror. Right? The words that we use to ourselves. Jesus made this stunning comment. It's quite illuminating. It's in Matthew chapter 15. It says, 
But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Oh, and I'm yelling at myself, and I'm using that horrible language and descriptors, and I'm thinking, what is down here? What's that gunk that comes out whenever I deal with myself? Not with my kids, not with my wife, not with the people that I love and care about, but just what I reserve for me when we berate ourselves or when we, you know, maybe, maybe what happens is that there's a childhood script, something that you heard someone else say and it got stuck in there and now you're hearing it in your own voice. It's not the voice of the person who originally said it. There is something that's going on inside of each one of our hearts and we've got to learn, brothers and sisters, how to steward our heart. Because stewarding your words means first stewarding your heart. Those two things go hand in hand. If you want to make sure that you're saying the right things, it has to start from somewhere. It has to start from inside. Yes, we, we treat people like our family and friends a certain way. Yes, we treat strangers and others. But mostly, we've got to figure out how to steward our words to ourselves, steward our own heart. So I want to give you a couple of ideas on how to do this. If you want to write them down, that's great. If not, um, the message will be online. You can listen to it again at some point. And here's the step one. You have to be aware of your language and your tone. Sometimes we're not even aware of that inner dialogue that's going on, how we're processing information, and we have to become aware of it. And whenever you start hearing that negative language, go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, where's this coming from? You have to be aware of this and the tone that we use to tell ourselves. Because here's the thing is that, you know, I never say when I'm really angry, like, ah, you know, <laughs> I'm such an idiot. No, I don't do that. It's always angry, right? It's always, like, oh, I'm such an idiot. What do I do that for? And we all do this. So we have to watch not only the language, the words that we use, the tone. We have to simply become aware of it. And here, by the way, I'm not talking about cuss words. That one's easy. You know, you know, if you're cursing and that kind of stuff, okay, that's fine. Guess what? A lot of the Old Testament prophets did the same thing. I'm not saying that's a good idea for you, but that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here are those words that you use that can either lift up or destroy, and typically we choose destructive words. I don't know if that's human nature. I think it probably is. It's probably evidence of sin, but... It's something that's going on inside the heart. And here's the second step, is to repent. Now, I want to be careful when we start talking about the word repentance. The word repent simply means this. You need to turn. You need to turn. Turn from one thing towards another. And so here's what I'm going to suggest that you do. If you're going to repent, okay, be aware of your language and your tone. And if you realize that it's, it's not helpful, if it's destructive to you, Here's a piece of advice. Stop it. <laughs> or if you were like my dad, knock that off. Right? Stop allowing the negativity to fill up in your heart and start giving yourself some grace, the same grace that you give other people. For some reason, we give grace to others, but we refuse to apply it to ourselves that's just crazy. We have to first apply it 
to ourselves so that we know what grace feels like so it's easier to give to other people, if that makes sense. So if you're going to repent, stop the negativity and start thinking about grace and mercy and all the things that the church and Jesus offers to other people and start with your own heart. And then finally, here's the third step. Ask God to change your heart because the words that you're speaking come out of the overflow of your heart. That's what one of the translations says, that Matthew passage, is that the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. So if you want to steward your words, you have to ask God to change what's going on inside of you. You have to change the overflow. And by the way, this is not a selfish thing to ask. Because sometimes I think when we, when we ask for stuff like this, it's like, oh, maybe I'm being selfish. Uh-uh. No, this is the change that, that Jesus wants to give us. It's the healing. It's the hope. It's all of those things welling up inside of us. Why? Because that overflows into the words. That builds the kingdom. That builds up other people. And we, we start seeing the kingdom of God in front of us. Does this make sense? Are you all tracking with me? This is a powerful thing that we're talking about here is the words that come out of our mouth and the way we say them and, and, and the intention we put behind them well up from our... This part's got to change in order for this to change. And so we need to ask God to change that overflow that comes from deep inside of our, inside of our hearts. So my, my fundamental idea here, the thing that I want you to, to really remember is that it's time to, to stop tearing apart the person that God created. It's time for you to stop tearing apart yourself. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know what your circumstances are or how you process this. And most of you, I don't know what's happened early on in your life and the kind of baggage that you carry but I do know this, that we live in a fallen and broken world. No one gets out unscathed, and so you probably have some baggage. You got some stuff. You got some junk that's built up in your heart. And while you're you know, polite and friendly when you talk to me and when you talk to other people and the quietness of your, your own moments when things go wrong, my guess is you probably throw yourself under the bus over and over and over again, and there's parts of you that are really tired of the tire treads. It happens to everybody. And so it's time to stop tearing apart what God has created. What I'm trying to say to you is, you are worth more than the words you use toward yourself. Or the words maybe somebody somewhere in your past has used against you. Maybe it was a, a parent who suffered from the same thing. Or a grandparent or a family member. Or maybe it was a school bully. Or somebody who was just incredibly insensitive. Whoever it was, you are worth more than those words. And here's how I know that. First of all, you are made in the image of God. Remember we talked about this last week, that God said in Genesis chapter 1, let us make humankind in our image. And he made them male and female in the image of God. You bear the imprint of the divine himself. Every one of us. And that we believe that Jesus came 
He lived, he ministered, he died, and he came back from the dead to be with you. That's how much you're worth. Wow. That's powerful stuff. So today, we're going to, to remember this through this simple, very simple little ritual that Jesus himself gave us. He took a bread and he took a cup and he made them symbols of his love. And it really is how much you mean to him. This thing that we call communion. We remember the fact that he came and he died and he came back from the dead to be with us. And, and this is a simple way of, of just reminding ourselves of that, demonstrating that. In the church of God, we have what's called an open table. That means that if you're a follower of Jesus, come, be a part of this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have, you don't have to participate. In fact, I recommend that you don't. It's okay to just stay in your seat. Nobody's going to think that you're weird, I promise. This is a journey that we're all on, but for those who need to remember what it is that Christ came to do, and this is for you. I want you to, to be a part of that. So on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. It's just something they would have on the table, just very simple. And after he gave thanks, he, he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body broken. Don't miss this for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after the supper, Jesus then took a, a cup. And after he had given thanks, he passed it out to his disciples. He said, take and drink. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for who? you because you're that valuable to him and he wants you to remember that every single time we gather together to do this very very simple act so what we'll have you do is Dan's going to lead us in some worship and I want you to think about that I want you to think about this idea that this is for you and when you're ready, just come to the center aisle. Um, grab a piece of, of bread, dip it into the, to the cup. And you can either take it back to your seat on the outside, or you can take it right here. It's up to you. Whatever is most meaningful. And by the way, if, if this is something that, you know, is kind of hitting you a little close to home, don't leave here without talking to someone about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my stool and I'm going to go over there and uh, just kind of in the back. If you want to talk to me, I'd love to talk to you about it because I, I'm just going to tell you right up front. This hits close to home for me too. And it's not because I know something that you don't. It's because I'm a fellow traveler on this journey and I know how tough that road can be. And I just want to pray with you. 
But in the meantime, this is for you. For that to sink in today, to become part of you. And maybe by soaking it up a little bit, that hard crust around our heart will begin to soften. It's not going to happen all at once, but maybe today's the first step in that.